Look, this might surprise you, but I have nothing in common with this person. <laughs> and more than just the obvious things. The fact that I'm not like a predator. A lot of details where I'm like, ooh, we just wouldn't get along. Even if he wasn't a piece of shit. I have nothing to say to this person, honestly. <laughs> Julian Benzavali. Hey, Patrick Hines. Oh my God, you guys. If you're looking for more shenanigans, join us on the Patreon, girl. Uh, over <laughs> yeah. 300 full ad-free bonus apps. Wait, oh, oh, we're into the Chippendales now. Yeah, we, uh, we're we at the strip club. We're at Chippendales. Yeah. We just, you said 300 <laughs> bonus episodes. At least 200 of them were relentless and making a murderer. Um, we also did the Jinx, Lula Rich. I love the people <laughs> who in the Facebook group are like, I joined the Patreon just because I was seeing how much relentless was such a shit show and I just had to hear. you guys if you want to become enraged about how a quote documentary filmmaker <laughs> pursues a missing person get into the Patreon and listen to our coverage of Relentless and also it's like it's almost the confusion is more than the rage yeah. it's like rage fusion it was yeah. a weird thing where I didn't know what to feel or think if you want to know more I mean that's where it is if you want to see a, a quote documentary filmmaker grab a shovel and go into the woods to dig up a body get into the Patreon the shade of it all the way you like quote documentary I oh I see you girl with that quote her name is Fontana and in episode one I was bye for Fontana and then like by episode two I was like bye Fontana <laughs> like, that was amazing let me tell you you and I are both bye for Maggie for I know a while. oh that god we are so <laughs> bye for Maggie um you guys don't forget we're playing Broadway April 11th if you are looking to sell your tickets please go to the Facebook group find the pinned post and get in there's hundreds of people looking for tickets we are gonna do a standby line day of all I know is that every seat in that house better be fucking sat yes. in um join our Facebook group join us on the Instagram I don't know what else should we tell the people today I don't know just buckle up pull over whatever <laughs> grab your water your tea your vod whatever you need to get through this shit show. here we go <laughs> all right girl tell the people what we're talking about today all right we're talking about the butcher baker mind of a monster on id on the surface robert c hansen led a normal life we spent two days with this guy looking right across from him like I am from you across the table. He ran a bakery downtown, a family man who liked to fly, liked to hunt. Getting him to talk about what he'd been doing. But Robert Hansen had a darker side. I said, my God, Bob, what if it goes wrong again? State troopers have said that up to 12 women could be victims. I need help. Bodies were dumped in shallow graves. God, I want to help you then, much more. I found myself back up town looking at the end. Damn it, isn't it just like a mouth drawn up a light? It scared me. Immediately, we have a, a warning about graphic content and real crime scene photos, and just uh, they're giving us trigger warnings right at the top here. And boy, they are not kidding. Nary a blurred fucking crime scene photo in this entire thing. Blur, it's so easy to do. The blurring, that's the thing. It's <laughs> the know. easiest thing to do. You can be a little messy with it, color outside the lines, I as know. they say. I don't know why they don't do it. Wait, can I just say one quick thing talking about blurring? Sure. This this week, I was watching a YouTube video of like a chiropractor appointment where this like hot guy was rubbing down this other hot guy but like showing you how to like alleviate back pain and the guy being rubbed down was in his underpants and they were blurring his crotch but you could see the crotch right through the blur see I this is what I'm saying I, I don't <laughs> the people who want to blur you don't have yeah. to the people who should blur they're not doing it I, I don't I'm confused <laughs> About the blurring. The blur job. You're confused about the blur job. The blur job. job. Wait, didn't we say that earlier? Yes, what, yes. Wait, what's that from? I don't remember. That was from another episode where I was like, job. they're doing a terrible blur job. It's really not hard to give a good blur job, you guys. Regardless, we have recordings of this piece of shit. When you told me that you had uh, these audio tapes, I was shocked. Because... There was a deal made by representatives of the state of Alaska that these things would be kept private. And look, if you're like me and you're just dying to get into a fucking true crime documentary made on television, all you gotta do is get some tapes. Like, if you can find some tapes of some serial killer talking about some shit, you're getting a documentary made. That's all you need. Yeah, it's. I mean, it helps. Yeah, it really helps. And then I said, oh God, the murderer's a fucking baker. He like ran a bakery. Is this gonna be some Sweeney Todd shit? These are probably the worst pies in London. 
I really thought we were going to be dealing with him, like, baking the people into the pies. Like, uncle- unclear cannibalism? Like, when people don't know that they're eating? Is that, that's not a phrase. Is that a thing? Well, that's what... It, that's Sweeney Todd. They didn't know what they were eating in the pies. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, his name is Robert Hansen, this guy. This piece yes. of shit. Yes, and he owns a bakery, which honestly sounds like a great job. You know what I mean? If you could do it, baking's hard. <laughs> It's all in the timing, right? And the measurements. You can't really improvise with baking. You, you give me a pot of spaghetti. I'm like, oh, as much garlic as pot. You can really play yep. fast and loose yep. with the numbers and the measurements. Not with baking. No. Uh-uh. It's science. <laughs> it's it, it really is. So we're at, um, it's Kinnick River, and it's 40 miles north of Anchorage, Alaska. I definitely wrote it as the Kink River. I was like, the Kink River? That's what my eyes saw first. I was like, how unfortunate this is. We meet someone named Marshall, and his lower third is friend of the murderer. And then I said, I know. I'm assuming the former is implied, because if not, this isn't going to be fun for any of us. I met Bob in 1978 through the church. Darla, his wife approached us about coming to dinner and getting acquainted with Bob. She had indicated to me that he didn't have any friends and would I be willing to consider being his friend. Yeah, so he calls him Bob. His name is Robert, like Bob. And Bob loved flying and hunting. Immediately, we're not getting along. So I understand the hunting for necessity. But like this guy has like a plane in Alaska and he goes like he invades the space of the animals who live far away from the people and then kills the animals. But this guy's like going into the middle of nowhere for like trophy kills, right? Which not cool. So this Marshall guy is like. My friend said. Marshall, you and I enjoy hunting because we enjoy the outdoors, we enjoy the stock, we enjoy the animals, whether we're shooting them or not. He said, I don't think Bob is like that. I think he enjoys the kill. And I just want to slow down on this for a second because Marshall tells us that he met Robert through church and it was really through Robert's wife, Darla, who begged him to be friends with her husband, the killer, because he has no fucking friends. She's like, I cannot get this guy out of my fucking house on a Friday night. Please come play with my husband. I need some alone time. Now, normally, you know this would break my heart, right? Like, will you be my friend? No one's my friend. I know, I know. But just don't feel bad for this guy. No no No. spoilers, but uh, hang tight. It's called Butcher baker he's the baker yeah we don't want him to have any friends at the very least i want him to be friendless i want a lot more to happen to him but at the very least lonely and also marshall says at one point bob invited him to go on his plane and i just said why would anybody do that unless your friend is a fucking pilot for delta why are you getting in their own personal fucking plane you know my heart's like oh my god oh my god my hands are shaking i'm like a small rinky dink plane with this guy yeah but apparently it's not that unusual to have a plane in anchorage alaska especially if you're a hunter i get it but like don't you have to take 800 hours of flight school are you telling me bob did that i feel like bob doesn't know what he's doing up there i feel like he told Totally did. Yeah. Because he is on a mission and I hate him. That's true. Marshall describes their like trips out to the outback to go hunting. They're like, you could be out there an entire day and not see another human. And I went, what is the appeal of this? Fun. Not a gay bar in sight out Ugh. there in the Alaskan outback. Like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, maybe we should make a gay bar called the Alaskan outback. Okay. See, <laughs> now you're onto something. And it's got to be yeah. like cozy. It has to feel like a lodge, right? Yes. So it's September 12th, 1982. We meet meet a guy named John Daly from the Anchorage Police Department and he says of course he and his friend were going out moose hunting on the Kinnick River those poor fucking moose what did they do to you I mean they just stood there majestic as fuck I mean they look a little silly <laughs> they have like kind of cartoony faces with the big antlers but they're yeah. fucking cool uh, so he's there they find some clothes and then a body and it's a woman because of course we, we got the state troopers out here The odor of of decomposition came out more and more as uh, they started uncovering her. And you could see that it was a white female. There was something around the head. They find this dead body. There's bandage tape wrapped around her entire head, including her eyes. It's horrible. And you guys, like, they're showing us this crime scene photo of this body that they dug up. Like, they're not blurring this out. And I'm saying, like, it's horrible to look at, but, like, for the sake of the family, could you have a little respect? I know that if they were here, they'd say, well, we want to show you how terrible he is. And it's like, uh huh. you can use your words. Again, a well-placed blur goes a long yeah. way where I can understand how terrible <laughs> this guy is, and I also won't have nightmares. Do you see? You know that we're fans of the well-placed blur. 
Fleur job, you guys. You know that we are. <laughs> it's all we ask. <laughs> so this is the first time we hear the tapes. Remember, the, this whole documentary is built around the idea that somebody like has these tapes of this interview with the serial killer. And it's Bob, the fucking butcher baker guy. And he's describing the abduction of this woman that whose body we've just seen in this hole. Going out here, I did not want her to see where, where, where we was going and so forth. I guess maybe it made me feel uh, masculine or powerful or in control of my life. The thing that just was so bananas, he says the words, you know, abducting this woman made me feel powerful and masculine or in control of my life. To which I said, what are we doing to men that they feel so out of control of their fucking lives that they have to fucking kill people? Let me tell you, they're doing it to their fucking selves. Like, they, like unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I hope that you understand that was like a tongue-in-cheek. Like, men, right. get your shit together. This mediocre white dude, what are you so mad about? Anything you're so mad about, you have control over. I have the Italian hands yeah. <laughs> and just shut up. And when I say mediocre, mediocre is a compliment to this piece of shit. Totally. He is a dweeb through yeah. and through. He's a herb. Would you describe him He's as a, a herb. herb? Lots of throwbacks in this totally. step already. I'm liking it. I taught Patrick what a herb was in like the last episode of The Vow that you can find on our Patreon feed. Mark Vicente is a herb. Yes. So back at the crime scene, they're digging up the body. They find a shell casing. They tell us she had one gunshot wound to the heart. So now we meet Susan. No last name. She is a former dancer. And Susan is here to tell us one hell of a story. I was barely 18 when I first came to Anchorage. Very young, ignorant. I was a dancer for a club called Good Times. Susan, who is a former dancer, looks like she was born to be a librarian. (laughs) You know what I mean? She looks like a Tipton if ever I've seen a human being. (laughs) So Susan uh, came to Anchorage when she was 18 years old. She says, I was young and ignorant. She then danced at a bar called Good Times. And she had a roommate named Sherry. And Sherry was great, lovely, soft-spoken, blonde. They shared outfits. And they were a support system for each other. So put a pin in Susan. She's amazing. But like we meet this guy, Leland. He's an author. He actually wrote the book that this documentary is based on. And he gives us like background of Anchorage, which like Anchorage apparently was a boom town. A lot of people came up to Alaska to take advantage of the quick money from the oil expansion. But with any boom town where there's money and there's men, the women will follow. Yeah, which is fine, I guess. But Leland, <laughs> I have a bone to pick with Leland because he says, and I quote, like with any boom town where there's money and men, women will follow. Excuse you. Leland, Leland just, uh, what are you trying to say with that? Totally, what are you yeah. implying? So he's saying that like the area of downtown called Fourth Avenue was like the red light district. I'm putting that in quotes. No, it's like actually the red light district. What does red light district mean? I don't get it. It means where like the sex workers are. Yeah, and like the sex shops and the sex stuff and, and where you can stuff. get sex stuff. Where you can get a good blur job. <laughs> I mean, if everyone consents and they're over 18 and they're all human adults. But they say there was a lot of like topless dancing and massage. Massage par- massage parlors. I can't say that word. <laughs> Wait a second. Yes. I paused and wrote down the names of some of these establishments. Oh, please. So Wild Cherry, fine. Great. The Good Times Club. Susan and Sherry worked there. The Kit Kat Club, a little derivative, yeah. but it's okay. <laughs> the Alaska Bush Company. Oh, no. I hate it. It's like not as punny as you think I it know. is, creepy old guy who named it the Alaska Bush Company. Also... The Fancy Moose. Now, I'd like to visit the Fancy Moose. I'm curious because it feels to me like it's uh-huh. kind of our kind of club, like yeah. our kind of bar. Sure. Where it's a little, like a little sexy, but a little bit like a lodge, the Fancy Moose totally. Lodge. Like that could be a strip yeah. club and it could also uh-huh. be like a place to get hot toddies. Susan also wants us to know, back at this point in Anchorage, there was so much cocaine everywhere. She's like, there was so much money. There was so much cocaine. It was ridiculous. I remember seeing piles of cocaine on tables that would fill this coffee table up. And we also learned that like Alaska at this time had a lot of sex work and apparently like more than really anywhere else in the country at the time. And it was tolerated there more than in other places. And that seems to be like important to how this man was able to do what he did. Right. And also there was fucking human trafficking happening Uh because apparently like there was this organized crime syndicate in Seattle that was quote recruiting women and sending them to dance clubs in Seattle, Anchorage and Honolulu. This is bananas. This is how Susan ended up in Anchorage because she's like they were looking for dancing girls they pay your flight up here they put you up in a hotel you make really good money perfect for a scared girl trying to get away 
When you got here, you found out that you had to live in their housing, and every day that you were living in their housing and in their clubs, you incurred debt. So, like, it's sex trafficking. You're never able to work off the debt. You work for these people. They're basically your pimps. You think you're there to dance. A lot of it then turns into sex work, whether you consent or not. And, like, this was Susan's experience. And she was like, the second I got there, I became like, how do I get out of this? And so Susan met this murderer piece of shit we're talking about. She met Bob because he bought her a bottle of champagne at the club. She hated him on sight. He's like, come on, I have a plane. And she's like, yeah, hard no from Susan. Also me. Not getting up in your rinky dink playing you fucking weirdo you know who would have gone for it you patrick <laughs> it's true Kills me. i'd have been in that plane so fast like with, with the champagne come on everybody we're like what no <laughs> you guys the serial killer bobby booze has got a plane i'm going stay here with me at the fancy moose i beg you no champagne and airplanes bye oh god <laughs> So Susan says she wasn't into doing extracurricular activities like some of the other dancers, which, you know, whatever. And she's like, I wouldn't do that to begin with, but definitely not with this fucking creep who wanted me to go up in his little airplane. But Sherry, her roommate, Sherry did go with him because the thing about that is that, like, it's just a way out of this life. Yeah. And Sherry's like... I'm going. Like, I need to get out of here. I'm going to go. And Susan doesn't even try to talk her out of it. You know, Sherry is just kind of like, will you go have breakfast with me and then walk me to my date? And they do that. We just got up like we normally do at breakfast. I walk maybe a block to the little place that she was supposed to meet Robert Hansen in. I just said, have fun. She goes, I will. That was it. See you later. But there was no see you later. And she's like, all right. Like, Susan's like, bye, have fun, be safe. And she's like, I'll see you later. And Susan's like, and I never saw her again. So remember at the top of the episode, that body that the cops found? It's Sherry. She's 24 years old and the cops ID her. And now everyone shut the fuck up and pull over (laughs) and turn the car off. Turn it off. Don't even have the blinkers on. I don't want to hear it. Shut up. I need total silence because Maxine Farrell's here. Total silence. Yes. Silence. (laughs) For Maxine. When I read about this body that was found over in Connect area, I knew that it matched what was going on with all the other girls. I said, there's a serial killer. But they wouldn't listen. Maxine Farrell is fucking awesome. She's from the Anchorage Police Department Homicide Unit. She's like, as soon as she heard about this case, she knew right away they had a serial killer on her hands, but nobody listens to her because she's a woman. Right, and she was one of two women on the force at the time. There was no locker room for them. They had to change in the bathroom. The men had their own designated locker room and like donuts and like a fucking spa, basically. And they didn't. The women didn't. And Maxine, of course, heard a lot of comments like, you're working? Why aren't you at home with your children? Do you even have children, you dummy? Can you imagine? Yes, I can. But that was Maxine's life. So here's how Maxine got involved in this case. In July of 1980, two years earlier, we're in a place called Eklutna, and it's 28 miles north of Anchorage. We got a call from dispatch and patrol responded, and they went out to Eklutna, and it was the access place for electricians. Electrical workers were going down and found this body. I was sent to it. And these electrical workers find a skeleton, these human remains. And she knows immediately that the victim is a sex worker. She's like, I could tell by the clothes and the jewelry. And she just knew, like, it's all, Maxine is very good at this, but she also has hunches. And her hunches, yeah. and she listens to her gut. And she's like, I, I know that this is what's going on. And there's no ID, right? And no missing persons report. And Maxine, because there's not a lot of information, she, back in 1980, can reconstruct a face based on what she thought the person look like which is pretty amazing and also terrifying those like facial reconstructions are fucking terrifying we, we gotta it's 2022 we gotta do better in 1980 i understand but now today can we upgrade you know maxine is just saying i wondered who could have done this to this woman because it didn't seem like your typical crime like she's connecting the dots like there's more here than like a random murder right and then soon after that they call her a Klutna annie because she was never identified 
soon after she was found, Roxanne Eastland, who's 24 years old, is reported missing and she is a sex worker. So Maxine's like, uh, hold on a second. I think these two cases are connected. And then after that, every month she's getting like two or three reports of missing women. She is like the only one seeing like the epidemic of missing women in Anchorage. Right. And she starts asking some questions and the cops are like, gosh, shut up. Who cares? They're sex workers. They disappear all the time. And she's like, no, 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 no. These women are disappearing in our backyard there's something more here and also i don't care if they're sex workers or not they're human beings and they're going missing and they're murdered so what the fuck so she's just like i'm gonna start investigating whatever and she's amazing because she's like i went and got the police reports she learned all about the jewelry that each of these women wore and she just said straight to the camera i was a psychology major so i knew that a lot of these serial killers kept souvenirs and i finally made a spreadsheet of it to say, this is a girl, this is what we know, this is what we don't know. By the time I got finished, I had about 10 girls. She's keeping tabs on the jewelry so that when this whole thing blows the fuck open, as she knows it will, she's going to know exactly what to look for. And she makes a spreadsheet yeah. in the 80s. Wait a second. Like, on paper. Like, not a Google Doc. Like, a spreadsheet. She made it with a ruler, and yes, she made it like, Steve must be so proud. But wait a minute. What is the point of a spreadsheet if it's not doing math for you or whatever? Organization, sweetheart. But- you know what? You're already in the plane with the bottle of champagne. <laughs> Let Maxine and I handle it. I know this will come as a surprise to nobody. I wouldn't be good at this. That kind of organization where you're making a fucking spreadsheet by hand. No, I can't do that. Thank God for Maxine, because God knows we're not doing it. Maxine connects 10 missing women to the same serial killer. She doesn't know who the serial killer is yet, but she is operating under the impression that there is a serial killer out there and she's piecing it all together. But she takes it to her superiors and they literally laugh in her face. She says they thought I was a stupid woman. So she said, Maxine is here with us today and she looks directly at us. This moved me and also literally got me on my feet. Like this was amazing. I went to my superiors, advised them, that there's a serial killer because of the number of girls I was collecting as missing persons. And they laughed at me and I said, no, you're wrong. I felt I was stupid. Stupid woman thinking there's a serial killer. I wasn't stupid. They thought I was stupid. They thought I was a stupid woman thinking there was a serial killer. I wasn't stupid. I'm like, no, you're not, Maxine! No, you're a genius and we need you. (laughs) Maxine fucking rules. I love her. Because we can't have anything nice, we got to go to church. We meet Pastor Wayne Coggins. And he says, this guy is very nice. I like Pastor Wayne. He says he came to Anchorage in 1979. And he says he remembers driving by a shopping center that had a temperature gauge that said 24 below zero. And he said, what have I done? Why does anybody move there? Anchorage, I'm sure you're lovely. 24 below zero, girl? I feel like if you're born and raised there, it's kind of like how it all goes yeah. and you kind of know that but again to move there yeah. I think anyone would say what have I done but <laughs> right. like once you're at a certain age you're like my body's just it just won't adapt it just won't do it no and then also like in the summertime it doesn't get dark until two in the morning like what is happening Alaska get your act together Alaska is wild I know. <laughs> so but Wayne is like look I have to he says he was a big donut fan so he <laughs> was a big, he was a, a, a regular customer at that bakery <laughs> I met Robert Hansen and his family shortly after I became a pastor at this church. He was a quiet guy, you know, and he was friendly. And uh, I didn't pick up any of the dark side that later surfaced. You know, I didn't pick up any of that. I knew he had a business as a baker. Being a donut fan, that's <laughs> I've gone in there a few times. You know who else would have been a big patron of this guy's bakery? Daisy. Daisy would have had this guy figured out in two minutes. <laughs> She's like chomping on her third strawberry donut of the day. Daddy, that's the murderer. There he is. Yeah, Daisy would go with Mike. <laughs> Mike loves donuts. And especially if it's like a well, like homemade, you know, like I know we love Dunkin' Donuts on this podcast and I agree. There's a quality to it. I understand those chocolate glazed donuts, delicious. But something about going to like a, a fresh homemade donut joint, you know? I'm just saying Johnny Fairplay, famous from Survivor, who I'm obsessed with, who's now my friend, 
who listens to this podcast is campaigning for me to get free Dunkin' Donuts for life because of all the advertising I do for them on this He podcast. tweeted, he was like, uh, it's unbelievable that Dunkin' Donuts hasn't reached out to this podcast because of how much free advertising they get. Johnny Fairplay's coming to our Broadway show. Oh my God, is he really? He really is. Oh my God, incredible. I know. So Robert the Murderer didn't really go to church. Shocking. Although I don't go to church, so I shouldn't make those comments. Yeah, I love that everyone's like, I met him at church. Well, actually, I met his wife at church because the thing about Darla the wife, she was fucking awesome. She was like a big woman of faith. She loved to teach the kids school. But the pastor is telling us she was like one of the top teachers of dyslexic children, teaching them how to read in Alaska. Daisy's dyslexic. Like, yeah. this is not a thing that was commonly understood in 1980 or whatever the fucking year this was. And Darla's out there teaching the kids who can't read how to read. Darla, I love you. Call me. Yeah, she's amazing. She is yeah. amazing. I've got the biggest question of the episode. Yes. Okay. So we meet this woman, Diana Lynn Hansen. She went to high school with this, the killer's kids. Her last name is their last name. Okay. What? A little clarity goes a long way, ID. Because I I was like, did she end up marrying him on death row or something? No. It is no relation at all. But ID didn't say that. You guys, she's like the friend of the daughter and her name is the same as their last. I could not. I was like, when do we find out that she ended up marrying him after he went to prison? Right now. She didn't. (laughs) At the time, the school didn't know what to do with all these kids that had issues, so they put them all in Darla's class. She was amazing. I, yeah, I have nothing but amazing things to say about her. But what she's saying is that, like, she was one of the murderer's wife's students. So she's like, no, no, she really was that awesome. So now it's April 24th, 1983, and we get more of Bob's interview. And this might be hard to hear. We might not be able to play a lot of it. But he's basically talking about how he, like, took a woman, a sex worker, in his plane to the middle of fucking nowhere. And, like, at this point, the jig is up. Like, she gets in the plane maybe willingly, thinking, like, we're going to go on a romantic date. And in the air, he always, like, pulls a gun on these people and then, like, puts them in handcuffs. No, I landed out there, and uh, it was all fine. The spot that you land out there, it's all gravel. And there's uh, some woods over, over here. And then they have a meat shack out here. And he gets her out of the plane and drags her into what he calls the meat shack. Yeah, it's like his torture shed that he you, that he has in the middle of the wilderness where like nightmares become a reality. But he also says like it was such a big open space in the middle of nowhere. And again, it's not unusual for people to have planes in Alaska. So these planes would fly over yeah, and he's describing yeah. again, this audio is his confession. So like he's just casually telling these coppers yeah. like, oh God, they're going to find my meat shack. He was like, I I considered on more than one occasion shooting these planes down to avoid getting caught. And then he says when the plane flies over and doesn't land and he doesn't have to kill this guy, he goes back into the meat shack and he's like, on second thought, I probably shouldn't have told this bra that I called it the meat shack. There's a fucking meat hook that this woman thinks she's about to be mounted onto. And you're in the middle of nowhere. You're in the middle of the Alaskan outback. Oh my God. And it's like, like what an asshole. Like, on second thought, maybe I shouldn't have said meat shack. No, on second thought, you shouldn't <laughs> have done any of this, you piece of shit. <laughs> So September 28th, 1983, it's a year after Sherry Morrow was found. She was the first one at the top of the episode. They find another body. It's a mile downstream. Also, two hunters out moose hunting. Stop doing that. Yeah, but now the cops are like, wait a second. Uh, our super smart male brains, we are, th- there's got to be a serial killer. And I'm like, Maxine has been screaming about that for three years. You're laughing at her, making her change in the bathroom while you guys have your fucking cigar club and the station. And Maxine is like, what the fuck? I know. And she says Maxine now is like, well, that's when everything started to fucking change and go in the right direction. Because Glenn is here. Glenn is an Alaska State Trooper. He's involved now for the very first time. And Glenn... God bless him, for whatever reason, is actually listening to Maxine. Thank God. Yeah, and he wants to start a task force because they're saying there could be up to 12 bodies out there of these missing women that are unaccounted for. And he wants Maxine on his team. Because he's smart. He's a decent, smart guy. Maxine's been doing this work for three years. She has spreadsheets with a pencil and paper on a piece of loose leaf and a ruler. Glenn's finally like, her, I want her. First pick on my team, I want her, I want her. The state troopers asked our chief investigator to let me go but I was forbidden to work with them. I was angry. I was really angry. 
Maxine's fucking bosses won't let her work with the state troopers. Unbelievable. And this is where we learn, like, we don't learn it here. We learn it down the road. There's all this jurisdictional fucking dick slapping between the state troopers and the local cops. Jurisdictional dick slapping. (laughs) Fuck yeah. That's like the most concise way. I've been screaming about jurisdiction bullshit for like a thousand episodes. And you just put it in this way where it's like, nope, that's it. That's it. Holy shit, you nailed it. <laughs> Thanks, girl. The state troopers, like, they're responsible for the entire state. And the, the Anchorage cops are only responsible for Anchorage. And Maxine is one of the cops. And the cops don't want to give her up, even though they're not using her on the case. Like, the whole thing, when it comes down to, like, they all want to solve it for their own glory. They don't want to work together and just, like, solve it for the victims. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And it's like Maxine being so valuable worked against her in this moment. Exactly. Because they knew that she was going to do the fucking right thing and good work. Like, God damn it. But meanwhile, let's go to the Sunday singles in the newspaper sunday singles was dating service in the anchorage daily news and that's how i met him bob hansen can you explain to the children what newspapers are newspapers okay they still have them now at your local bodega or (laughs) gas station um But so, you know how Twitter has like a certain amount of characters you can use? It's the same thing in the singles. You only had a very limited space to write out like everything you wanted in a person. So Uh we're here with Karen O'Leary and she dated Robert Hansen, our murderer and piece of shit. They met through the Sunday singles. And the thing to keep in mind here is that he's already married. So bear that in mind. Right. So he says, quote, he's an adventurous male looking for a lady willing to put on jeans. Join me (laughs) in finding what's around the next bend. Now, now, just for Karen's sake, I want the context of it that she wasn't like jeans, you say, and like ran right. to meet this guy. There was yeah. more about like, let's go on like fun adventures and be spontaneous and like experience life the way it's meant to be lived in jeans. And, <laughs> and also, Karen is very grateful to be alive. She knows what she narrowly escaped. He asked me if I wanted to go for an airplane ride. And I said, okay. Well, thank God the wind was too windy, so... He took me to his house. She says, like, he picked her up. They went to a bar. She said he was nice. And, you know, they're having a drink. He invites her back to his home where he lives with his wife and children. And I guess he just knows they're not going to be there or whatever. And so, like, they go down to his fucking murder basement where he's got, like, taxidermied heads of animals all over the wall. I understand that this is the thing that people have. To me, it's a murder basement. Yeah, they, and everyone calls it a man cave. And I'm like, can we not? <laughs> this guy's a murderer. He's, like, yes. trying to murder Karen right now. Don't say man cave. It's a hell house or whatever it's a fucking hell house that's exactly what it is so they're down in the basement and they're like smooching they're necking oh my god and he asks her if she wants to make love on the bearskin rug and she politely declines with kind of a chuckle. <laughs> oh, rain check. Just anything to get out of there. Maybe later. Ooh, I simply must be going. But, you know, she says he goes quiet and then, like, she leaves. Like, nothing happens. Like, in a twist, he respects that, which is like, oh, okay. We're going to come to learn that he respects women who are, like, looking for love. And he thinks that women who are sex workers are devalued humans. He can do anything he wants to them. So, like, meeting somebody for a date through the fun pages is makes it so he can't kill them but Uh meeting a sex worker at a club or on the street means that like he can murder them because they're valueless well i was gonna save it but i'll say it now the flaw in that plan asshole robert whatever the fuck your name is is that that's all to justify to yourself because you sought out those sex workers you made it so that you could feel better about what you were doing so please i don't want to hear it don't try to turn it bobby is it that it's all about like who's good and who's not if we want to talk about who's good and who's not Here's a mirror. So it's June 13th, 1983. We meet Greg Baker. He fucking rules this guy. He's a white cop in Alaska in the 80s. And I put my stamp of approval on this guy. Okay. Wow. Great. Because <laughs> he believes Maxine. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh, yes. He's on patrol with another officer, Wayne Vance. And Wayne Vance is here. Hi, Wayne. And they're saying it's three or four in the morning. And like they get this insane call. This is bananas. We got the call from dispatch that a white female was running down Fifth Avenue naked and handcuffed. 
And we learned that like some good Samaritan in a truck picked her up, but then went and dropped her off at a hotel, still naked and in handcuffs, and then skedaddled on to work. I was going to say, <laughs> what kind of hurry is this guy in? I know. <laughs> what are you, unless there's there's someone giving birth in the backseat of your car, <laughs> where you simply must get to the hospital, or you have a limb falling off, or someone is maybe dying, right. and you yeah. stop to save this poor woman in peril. Can you wait and not just like dump her at the, the Woods Motel, it's called? The Woods Motel. <laughs> this poor woman, because we learned she's 17 years old. Her name is Cindy Paulson. She's 17. And the cops get there and we hear Cindy on tape. And she's like telling us her ordeal. I was on Cornish Valley. And the gentleman here went by, pulled in parking lot. was talking with this man and he offered me. A man picked her up, offered her $200 for like sex work in his car. So she says yes, gets in the car, he pulls a fucking gun on her and then handcuffs her. And he tells her if she yells for help or tries to get out, he's going to shoot her. He takes her again back to his home where he lives with his fucking wife and children, takes her down to his murder room. They again call it a man cave. Stop doing that. Stop doing it. And he like for five hours tortures and rapes this woman in the basement of his home. And she says the entire time it's happening, she's plotting a way to get away because she says, this was not my time to die. This is not how I go. And she's like thinking of how to get out of here. So Robert's plan, we learn, is to take Cindy to his torture cabin in the woods. He's like, hey, we'll spend the weekend. It'll be great. Then we'll come back. And she's like, nothing about you is great. Cindy is 17 years old and she knows enough. She goes, if I go to that cabin, I'm never coming back. And she knows it. And she's fucking handcuffed. Like, what is she going to do? So they get in his car. They get to the airport. And he says to her, I got to go put a special seat in the plane so I can tie you up. I'll be right back. Get to the airport. And like he said, yeah, seated so he could tie me up in the plane. I knew I wasn't going to live. I mean, the man, he, what he did to me, he had to kill me. So she takes this opportunity. He's like, BRB, she literally runs for her life. Yeah. She runs handcuffed, naked. She doesn't give a fuck. She runs for her life. Yeah, this is where the truck driver stops and is like, I give you a lift to the motel, but I really got to get That's to work. as far as I go, girl. As <laughs> far as I go, sweetheart. And so this is insane. Like, Officer Greg, who I love, asks her, and he says the right terminology, he wants her to come to the hospital to take a sexual assault exam, and she agrees. And as they're passing the airport, she's like, I don't know if this matters, if you guys care or not, but that's the plane of the guy that was trying to kidnap and kill yeah, me. Yeah, is this anything? But that was where I was supposed to go to get murdered. Is that anything at all? Cindy fucking hero. So they call the airport and they're like, that plane with that like tail number, who does that belong to? They're like, his name is Bob Hansen. Here's his address. There they go. Off they go to his house. He's like, hey fellas, what's up? Some coffee? What do you want? Hot toddy? What's up? Super calm, super cooperative. He's like, you want to see my man cave? There's a bearskin rug down there and uh, some handcuffs if you're interested. What's going on? Happy to chat. He's like, sure, I'll go down to the station. And Detective Greg says, like, the best part about it was as soon as he started talking, I knew he was lying. I believed Cindy. I was sure he was involved. Because of that, I was sure he was lying to me. I learned early in my years in law enforcement that if somebody will lie to you, that's the best thing in the world. One, they can't remember the lies. And two, lies are easy to approve, you know. False. Cool, calm, and collected Greg. I love this guy. Right. And so the cops search his house, to which I'm like, I guess him being the owner of that plane is as good as a warrant because they're just like, we're just going to, they're like knocking over the, (laughs) yeah, they're just searching everything. (laughs) So they go down to the rec room, the torture chamber, the man cave, whatever you want to call it. And there are like tons of hunting trophies. But more importantly, it's exactly how Cindy Paulson described it. So they know that she was there. She, of course, is telling the truth. And they didn't find any physical evidence, but they knew that this is where Cindy was, but they found a hidden pistol, which is interesting to them. Yeah, and Officer Greg is like, I fucking believed Cindy, and I was like, what are the next steps? How do we get this guy? And then he says, but the investigator, who I guess outranks him, believes Robert. And he says, she's just a sex worker. She probably upped her price afterwards, and he refused to pay, and this is just a squabble between a sex worker and a John. Like, I don't understand why men do this. Like, what's it to you? Do your job. Like, just investigate it for five seconds. And what's not being said here is that what he's really saying is, I'm not going to waste like town resources on a sex worker like we don't care about like her right who cares so it's three weeks later officer greg says he hasn't heard anything on that investigation in three weeks i noticed the last report was a a disposition of uh 
suspended. In other words, there was no more investigation going on about that case at all. And I just, that bothered me, you know, because, I mean, damn it. He knows the investigation was paused, that nobody cares. And he goes, I mean, damn it. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he, like, the official term is like suspended. And like, Greg is super pissed. So Greg starts doing what Maxine did, independent of Maxine, like not knowing that Maxine had the spreadsheet with the ruler and the pen and the pencil and whatever. Right. But he basically <laughs> does the same thing because he believes Cindy and he knows that there's something here. So he does a deep dive on Robert Hansen. Yeah, so we go back 12 years and this is what he finds. We meet a guy named Ron Rice from the Anchorage, Anchorage Police Department. Ron Rice goes. My first encounter was Robert Chris Hansen was probably the first arrest he had in Alaska. That was when he tried to abduct a female in the late 1971. Huh, the first time I met Bob, let's see, it must have been. Oh, yeah, it was that time he tried to abduct that woman. What was it, 71? And the thing about this was that this woman that he abducts is not a sex worker. She works in real estate. And on his own confession tape, he says, uh, The first time I seen her was downtown. I had, uh, I guess, an attraction to her. I, uh, I wanted to talk to her. I got in my car and I followed her home. I saw her downtown. I thought she was hot. I wanted to talk to her, so I got in my car and fucking followed her home. I followed her home. No, you do not get to fucking do that. No, and you know what else you don't get to do? This next thing. He shows up to her house with a gun in his hands. She opens the door. He points a gun at her. She screams. The roommates hear him. Call the cops. He runs. It's chaos down here, Tom. The cops picking up within 30 minutes. He's arrested. And the, and Ron Rice is like... Comes across as kind of a wimp when you uh, talk to him originally. You know, he denies everything, but his head is down like that. He's not really looking at you, and he's, he's just an innocent person. He doesn't seem like the type. But I'm like, we have to stop with the he doesn't seem like the type, number one. We got to stop. But when this guy's been arrested for, like, kidnapping a woman at gunpoint, why is he on the street to do all these murders all these years later? Why wasn't this stopped back then? Right. Well, we'll get into it. But one thing about Ron Rice, he sounds exactly like Philip Baker Hall. Close your eyes and listen to him. He's from <laughs> that guy. He was, like, the host of the kids' game show in Magnolia. He was in Bully, Boogie Nights, Zodiac, like, Seinfeld, Curb, so many things. But if you close your eyes... It's Philip Baker Hall telling the story. That's so funny. I love that your go-to IMDb reference for him was Magnolia. That's like one of my top two favorite movies. Amy Mann did the soundtrack. Come on. Oh, God. So he's out on bail, right? Like, he's just out on bail waiting for a court date to be set for this horrible thing he did. Of course, because he's a white guy. They let him out on bail, out to terrorize the community. Patrick, it's just a woman. And nothing (laughs) bad really happened. Just trauma for her to live with for the rest of her life. That's all. But this one cop was like... I got an impression that he was going to rape her. And that's when I I decided to start that new... A book that we did with color photographs of possible sex offenders and he was actually number one in that book this cop just does this he just decides to make a photo book about the sex criminals so while this piece of shit is out on bail this woman patricia roberts is abducted at gunpoint and she's taken 160 miles from anchorage Ugh. he sexually assaults her robert in the audio is like i was more scared than she was fuck off <laughs> and so like now he's escalating because this is what they do so patricia roberts was his first sexual assault victim but she lives and the cops bring her in they have that guy's photo album that photo book of like all the creepy guys and they show it to her and she's like oh robert hansen that's him. Two seconds flat, she IDs him. That's it. So he's arrested, and he, of course, is like, no, 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 she's just a sex worker. This was just like a sex work transaction gone wrong. They make a deal with this fucking piece of shit where they're like, we're going to get you on the gunpoint for the first lady, and we're going to drop all the charges about the kidnapping and the rape of that other lady. Yeah. And he's like, great, bada bing, bada boom. He gets three years in prison, and that's it. And see, this was a lesson to him, because now he learns how to pick his victims. I think he learned from those early cases. And the thing he learned is choose your victim so that you will maximize the likelihood that the case won't even be handled. You won't even have to deal with it. No one will believe it. And this, that moment was a catalyst for everything to come next. And so many lives could have been saved if that didn't happen. So now we're back with Greg Baker. He's the cop who believes women. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> One in a million. In 1983, give this guy an award. What's up, Greg Baker? And independently, because he doesn't know who Maxine is, he's doing exactly what Maxine did. He's like doing all this research and he turns it over to the troopers and they listen to him because he's a man, basically. Like he literally handed over exactly the kind of work that Maxine did. But then they're like, now, wait a second. <laughs> now, 
now hold on. But the thing we learned is that Greg is a, he's an Anchorage state cop. So he like turning it over to the troopers, he could have gotten in trouble, but he doesn't care. He's like the one cop right. that like wants to fucking get the guy, as we always say. They're like, oh my God, Greg Baker, thank God you're here. Yeah. We had nobody else around giving us this kind of information. Thank God. That really turned it for Flothy. That was that was for him the missing piece of the puzzle. This is it. This is our guy. And the, they say the troopers had already been looking at Hanson as like a troublemaker, but all of this information from Greg Baker is like what blows the thing wide open, basically. And it's what makes everyone realize, holy shit, he's a serial killer, and there are a lot of other women that he harmed in this. Yes. And now it's not just like a one-off, so to speak, but now they're like, holy, this guy's fucking prolific, and we gotta get him. So yeah. now they know he's a serial killer. They're searching the house. Fuck it. They're searching the house. <laughs> and they trick him. They trick him into coming down to the station. They're like, hey, do you want to come down and talk about the murders that we think you did he's like absolutely because he loves talking he's a talker they use it against him amazing so as they're so he's at the station they're doing their thing now maxine and everybody else so finally they're like oh maxine i know we were total assholes to you uh but we really need you to help solve the case can i just say it breaks my heart because maxine is at the house and she's the one who describes the kids and made contact with darla and two kids the little boy was horrified he was not crying but he was just horrified. And the little girl, she was just standing there with tears streaming down her face. These poor fucking kids and the wife who like just wants to teach dyslexic kids how to read. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're saying that like they're going through the house. They have a warrant. They can be there, but they're afraid that he's going to come back any minute and be disruptive or whatever. So they got to do this quickly and they're not finding anything. And so finally, like the only part of the house that hasn't been searched is the attic. I'm like, I don't know why you didn't start with the attic. Like that that's where you start in a search like this. The basement and the attic, wherever there's any kind of like, what does he have a crawl space? Like Let's go to the, you know what I mean? So they go up to the attic and like one of the detectives just like pulls back some insulation and finds rifles. And they instantly know that they're it's the same kind of rifle that would have killed the first two victims that we talked about here, the ones with the shell casings. Mm-hmm. And so right away they have something to tie him to the murder. So like that that's a big moment. And the big thing they were looking for too, I mean the weapon is gigantic, but they were looking for the trophy so that they can connect him to all of these other murders. It's the jewelry and that's why Maxine's there. Yeah. And then also in the insulation, they find find the jewelry. I could see bracelets and ankle bracelets and necklaces. What we wanted to find, we'd found. There's no doubt in our mind it was him. She identifies all of it and she she says to us, what we wanted to find we found. And this dude yeah. is fucking arrested immediately. Yeah, he's arrested immediately. And But they say that, like, Cindy Paulson, that 17-year-old who was, like, naked with the handcuffs that they found yeah. at the hotel, she's the only witness. So without, like, an outright confession from him, they're saying that, like, this still isn't an airtight case. And then they go through the evidence that they seized from the house, and one of them was an aviation map. And there's all these little X's. Like, there's 21 X's on this map. Oh, my fucking God. Right. And so it turns out that he was marking the burial sites and the murder locations on these aviation maps and it's everything they need like he did it all for them right so when they bring him back in and they're questioning him he finally admits to like the murders that he knows that they know that he did he doesn't know that they have the aviation map right so when they get to the end of that and he's like that's it I'm all done nothing else to see here they throw the aviation map down in front of him they're like we know there's 21 bodies total because we know you marked them all off and he just like spills the tea he ends up admitting to 17 of the 21 murders because they say if you keep talking and tell us everything we'll only charge you with the crimes that we brought to the table so everything Uh else you tell us about from here on out you won't be charged with and for them it was just like for the sake of closure for everyone else right they just wanted to know so that was the deal and he's like all right he confirms that he's a fucking evil monster a total piece of shit he gets 461 years plus, <laughs> plus life, life. <laughs> for the murders of Sherry Morrow, Paula Goulding, uh, Eklutna Annie, who was never identified, uh, Joanna Messina, plus the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson. And re- the remaining six victims have never been found or identified. And it ends where it's like he's in prison forever and ever. 461 years plus life. Like, plus oh life. my God. <laughs> I know that that's just like on paper, but it feels really amazing to say. And what's even more amazing, 2014, he died at 75. I feel yeah. nothing. I feel happy. Feels nice. He's dead. Fuck him. Oh my god! Wait, we did. What is it called? It's called Butcher Baker: Mind of a Monster from ID. 
You guys, it's a really good one. There's a lot that we had to skip over because we just like couldn't get it all in. Go watch this doc. It's really, really well done. Yeah, it's very good. Also, come see us on Broadway April 11th. We are sold out. But if you have tickets and you're not coming, please get in the Facebook group and find a home for them. I need every seat filled. Johnny Fairplay's going to be there. Some other fucking cool people are going to be there that we can't really talk about. Yeah. Uh, we are making a really, really great show for you. We're so proud of it. I can't wait. Yeah. Join us on the Patreon if you want to hear six episodes about this insane woman digging up bodies in the woods because she just can't help herself. The series is called Relentless it's from called Discovery Relentless, Plus. And is it ever. <laughs> uh, we also did Lula Rich and Heaven's Gate and The Vow and Don't F with Cats and Tiger King. We're at, over at Chippendales having a... Please join us at the strip club yes. at Chippendales. We're having a grand old time. And if you want to hear me defend why I think I would have been a body under a driveway during the Gacy doc, go listen to it. I think I'd be there. I think I would definitely It pains be there. me to say, but I think you would too. <laughs> and I love you, and that's why it's hard for me to say. How am I still alive? How have I survived this long? I don't know how Gacy didn't get you, honestly. I, I don't, to this day. You want me to crawl all the way in? All I'm, the, I'm go, uh, yeah, going, absolutely. going, gone, why Gacy. Don't I, why don't I? You know what? I'll handcuff myself, sweetheart, and I'll just walk, my, crawl myself into that crossfit. Uh, what are we doing now? Next girl. Oh, so next we're doing Crime Scene Times Square. So this is, it's three episodes on Netflix, the same people who yeah. did Cecil Hotel, but we're yeah. going to break it up into two episodes. Sometimes we do that. And we're doing a double drop. So we're going to release episode one on the regular feed uh, and episode two on Patreon in the first week. And then in the second week, episode two becomes the episode on the regular feed. So patrons get both episodes at once. Yeah. And we love you. Follow us on Instagram, True Crime Obsessed Podcast. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore. You're Jillian with a G and all the things. I am. This was fun. This was a, we did, we recorded this on a Sunday afternoon and at first we were like, wow. And now look, we got a lot of anger out. We got a lot of rage. We love Maxine. The guy's dead. Come on. We had a nice time, I think. Win, win, win all the way around. That's right. We love you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The whole world is attracted to Times Square, but in the late seventies, Times Square was considered an atrocity. Firemen were responding to a report of a fire in a West Side hotel room. They found much more than they had anticipated. It was the hotel room from hell. You had the smell from burning flesh. The smoke was thick. They crawled into the room, not being able to see. I had covered crime. But I had never covered crime as salacious and as evil and as uh, brutal. What sick son of a bitch could do something like this? The demon bubber of Fleet Street. <laughs> What's a girl got to do to get a well-placed blur job in this joint? Am I right? I always say, if that hottie Jeffrey Dahmer hit on me at a bar, I'd be ahead in a fridge. I'd be ahead in a fridge. You always say. That's the thing you always <laughs> say. Silence. For Maxine. Bring back my girls. <laughs> <laughs> I also love, too, like, whenever you see those BuzzFeed listicles, like, here's what Cleopatra looked like. Here's what Jesus looked like. And he wasn't white, you guys. <laughs> never. He, honestly, Jerusalem, give me a fucking break. He was never white. And because it's called the Outback, we can do the bartenders and like assless chaps. Sure. Well, that's like, come on. <laughs> For the the P and G home of bars, yeah. it'll be like a chain, but they'll right. all be different. But you just know you get the same caliber of service, and usually yes. that is like lots of cosmos and a bunch of butts. <laughs> a bunch of butts. <laughs>